0: It is Monday, April 14th, 1980, at the 56th. Let's start that again. <laughs> <laughs> I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve.
1: Parasite.
0: Farmer oh! versus French.
1: Chicago! Chicago!
0: West Side Story. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Run
1: through over the cookies! Shakespeare in love.
0: May I have the envelope, please? It is Monday, April Fourteenth, 1980. We are at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown Los Angeles with Johnny Carsten presiding over the 52nd Annual Academy Awards. And it is time for the big award of the night. Best Picture, the envelope, please. And the winner is Kramer versus Kramer.
1: So here we are, Rands, Nineteen seventy-nine. We've got Johnny Carson again. Oh, uh, yes. I you have. Do. I, have okay, I have no notes about this ceremony. So okay. you just give me, give me your all.
0: Um, well, I got to tell you a couple of good Johnny Carson lines. Oh, thank um, God. Yes. Because I, I really you guys, you gotta go to YouTube and watch some of these these intros because they're just fantastic. But um uh but like, okay, so he said this time around he was talking about all that jazz. Um <laughs> and he's he talked about uh the the big scene in the movie, okay, and he said the open heart surgery scene and all that jazz has already started a trend for movie musicals. MGM announced today that they'll be making a new musical, Seven Vasectomies for Seven Brothers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Um,
0: So this is his second time hosting after he hosted last year. We got him back again. Um, And uh, this is an interesting year for ages in the ceremony as well, because we have... um, the youngest best supporting actor nominee of all time, Justin Henry, um, is nominated for best supporting actor for his performance in Kramer vs. Kramer. What is this crap? It
1: sounds very steak. I hate it. You not hate it. You had it last week and you loved it.
0: No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I hate the brown stuff. It's gross. And um, then we have the oldest. He is up against. Um, the i not the oldest nominee ever i don't think i think at this time it was it may have been at this time but it's the oldest gap in ages for nominees of all time uh with 79 year old melvin douglas who's coming roaring back um and winning best supporting actor um after a very very long and interesting career in cinema, including being a pretty dependable leading man in the thirties and forties. Um, so congratulations to Melvin Douglas. Of course his, um, I, have met his, um, uh, daughter a couple of times, uh, Ileana Douglas, who, um, uh, daughter, I think it's daughter. Hold on. Yeah. Daughter. Granddaughter. Sorry. Granddaughter, Ileana Douglas, um, who, uh, is uh, a very prolific actress um in things like uh the remake of cape fear and uh some other films and she does some stuff with tcm so i've met her before but um but he is uh he's fantastic i really enjoy melvin douglas so i'm i'm happy yeah, that he got his oscar and um kind of just in time he um he only lived about a year after this ceremony um, so it was nice that that he uh, he got that towards the last act of his career, if you will. Um, also, he's interesting. I don't remember if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but his um, his wife was na- named Helen Kahagan, and she was a uh, one of the first prominent female politicians in the United States. He was married to her for many many years um, uh, until her death in 1980. And Helen Kahagan um, was a representative, a Democratic representative in California, who was the, the Democratic Senate candidate against Richard Nixon when he ran for the Senate in California.
1: Oh, um, interesting.
0: Yeah. And whenever Nixon got impeached, there was a bumper sticker that would go, that was on the back of a bunch of cars here in LA that said things like, um, don't blame me, I voted for Kahagan."
1: <laughs>
0: Clever, yeah. So I love uh, that. anyway, Helen Cahagan Douglas is is her name, and she was an actress turned politician, um, and was married That's... to Melvin Douglas for many many years. Um, and he also he had the triple crown, so he also won a Tony and a um, and an Emmy. So yes, the most um,
1: decorated of the whole Douglas family. <laughs> it's an interesting year. Do you have any um, off the top
0: notes you want to make about? this year thus far
1: I actually don't I don't have any notes about the ceremony but I do have a couple of snubs if you are prepared for that oh I am totally prepared take me through okay it. good I got two movies that I think were snubbed the first one being alien I think this belongs in best picture and best director for Ridley Scott I think it is one of the greatest horror films ever ever um, and I think it deserves to be in those slots My second one, this is my more... This one is more close to my heart. My second one is Being There. It is the movie you just talked about with Melvin Douglas in it. I think it is absolutely criminal that Being There is not in the picture director category either. You know, we talked about Hal Ashby a little bit when we broke down the 1976 ceremony with Bound for Glory. And the fact that he made it in there for that movie... And not for this movie. Just baffles me. Um, Being there would be my spotlight. However, it is so special to me. And the ending is so monumental that I don't want to ruin anything about the film. I just want to tell everybody, if you haven't seen Being There, watch it tonight. Watch it. Stop the podcast and watch it now. It is brilliant. And completely changed my outlook on life. And... Yeah, move me to tears. It is it is such a good movie, and it should be in the best picture and director lineup as well. So th- does that make you very happy that Melvin Douglas won? It absolutely does. I would have loved to have seen Peter Sellers win as well. I think he is so good in this movie. It's stupid how good he is.
0: Just to just to be clear here, though, uh, Hal Ashby did not get a director nomination in 76. Oh yes, good. Thank you. Yes, yes. Sorry. I just don't want anyone to think that we don't
1: check our facts here. Yes, at we, we Oscarorama, fact-checking each other. Absolutely. We do. I mean, yes. I'm okay. never wrong. But you know, when you're <laughs> wrong, I do. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we love it. We love it. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's move on. Do you have any snubs? <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, Let me recover from that moment.
0: Um, Yes, I do have a snub. Um, I am very confused why (laughs) the China Syndrome does Mm. not have more love. The China Syndrome, if you have not seen it, is about a nuclear power plant that... um, had has like a leak going on and there's an investigation that's done there and Jane Fonda's the intrepid reporter who's doing the investigation. Um and and Jack Lemmon's there and Michael Douglas is there. And it is such a tense, wonderful film. Again in keeping with Jane Fonda doing these socially relevant films. This is talking about the debate over nuclear power. Um and excuse me there's not a leak excuse me there's there's cover-ups about safety going on there which could lead to a huge meltdown and could be a crisis and it has one of the most thrilling endings of any movie you're ever gonna see um it is so well paced it is so tense uh jane fonda gives i think one of her best performances in the film um, and Jack Lemmon is brilliant in this movie. Jack Lemmon's one of those actors who I feel like every time you, um, every time you revisit him, you just like discover again and again how good he is because he's so good at everything. Yeah. Everything, <laughs> like farcical everything. comedy to serious drama. There's literally I like some like it hot to China Syndrome. Same yeah. actor. Uh, I mean, his performance. In Days of Wine and Roses is one of my favorite performances of all time. I I think he's absolutely brilliant. This is it's just such a great, 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 great film. Um, and I, I mean, maybe it was just I mean, like this is a stacked year. I understand why it's not there, but I do think that it is um, in the same league as some of these Best Picture nominees. And oh, so yeah. I would have liked to have seen it get director or Picture or, um, or, uh, it did get, it did get a screenplay nomination, but, um, uh, I, I just would have liked to have seen more love for the China Syndrome because I, I, I see that. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. it. No, I agree with you. I love it. I, in the picture lineup. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I have one more. Okay, okay, Okay. For supporting actor. Mm -hmm. even though I know he has a truckload of nominations and he just got (laughs) an honorary award last year, there's a movie called Uh, A Little Romance, which has a very, very young Diane Lane and playing an older gentleman, Laurence Olivier. Um, And the movie is uh, about uh, this American girl who befriends a French boy and they have like a little kid romance and they meet in Paris and then they go off on a journey that takes them to Venice. And this like this kind of old crook uh, thief is helping them along the way. And that's Laurence Olivier. It's incredibly sweet. It's an incredibly cute little movie. Um, And Laurence Olivier, I I mean like it probably is one of those situations where he's top build He's kind of a lead, but it also feels like a, a performance that could be in supporting. So part of it may just be like that not knowing where to put him as far as this goes, because it feels like the kids are the focus of the movie, but he also is big enough to be a lead. I, for whatever reason, it feels like a supporting nomination for me. Regardless, I would love to see it here because it's just one of the most delightful older gentleman performances out there. And also okay. Diane Lane is a child in this film and she already has so much screen presence and talent. It's mm-hmm. um
1: it's a really, really, really sweet movie.
0: I a little romance.
1: Yeah. I've never seen it. I'm gonna put that on my list. Thank you for that.
0: You're I was welcome. just gonna
1: say, with your snub for China Syndrome for Best Picture and my two snubs of Alien and Being There I think we can make this work because honestly, I'm looking at the Best Picture lineup. I would toss out all that jazz immediately. I would toss out Berking really, away, and I would toss out Norma really? Rae. I don't think any of those are Best Picture quality.
0: That's okay. I um, i mixed on all that jazz. I do think it is an incredibly um, mm-hmm. creative film. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't respond to that movie. But I don't. You. But I don't love it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: I don't think it's good. And I love the China Syndrome. So. Yes, I think that's you way, know, and so I, I Alien is one of the best movie. And you're right, Alien is one of the best horror movies ever made. So. Yeah. Uh, also, can I piggyback on your Alien there? And I mean, I don't know where we're gonna put her because I do think this is a strong collection of nominees, but
1: Sigourney Weaver. I know, and like a lot of people argue: Is she a leading actress in this one? Is she a supporting actress in this one? You know, she's clearly the lead of the sequel, Aliens. Yeah. But this one's a little—you know, this one's more of an ensemble film. The original Alien is, you know, yeah, that's um, true. That is true. With and Veronica Cartwright, who I talked exactly. about exactly. And what's funny is she, <laughs> Veronica Cartwright is the one who was nominated for a lot of like the horror award, like the Saturn Award. I actually think she won the Saturn Award. Um, So they kind of sided with her a bit more than with Sigourney Weaver, it seems like, even though Sigourney is the last girl. Um, Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. Uh, Well, we can save her nomination for Aliens, because Aliens is good, too. Absolutely. They're both flawless. I mean, as far as a horror franchise goes, those first two, Alien and Aliens, are about as good as they come. We can end it there. We don't need the rest of the sequels. But those two are perfect movies. Do you think you can kind of bridge this into spotlights now? I am so ready. I have a great spotlight for you. I, okay. I want to talk about Bette Midler in "The Rose" because we oh, talk a lot about it. we talk a lot about screen debut performances on this podcast and and how much uh, we love them. Yes. And I think when this they shoot out of the is, gate that way, oh my god! And boy, although you does can hear Bette her Midler. sing.
0: You can hear Bette Midler sing the in-credit song "You Got to Have Friends" at the end of one of my favorite movies of the '70s, uh, "The Last of Sheila," which I talked about several years ago. But yes. she sings she sings over the closing credits of that movie. Just so you know,
1: brilliant, brilliant. Well, we get to see her face in this one. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, the, oh, God, this movie is really really another hard one to watch but it is a good movie and i think this is one of the greatest debut screen performances of all time she just comes in guns a blazing. um so if you haven't seen the rose it is essentially a biopic about Janis joplin it's not actually packaged and marketed that way but it is heavily influenced from Janis joplin's life her, you know, meteoric success and then her decline with drugs and, you know, her demons catching up with her um, and the aftermath of all that. So in talking about that, like she just, you know, Bette Midler is able to portray that ferocious energy in her performance. And it kind of feels like you're watching someone run a marathon, but at the pace of a sprinter in mm-hmm. this movie it is it is like physically demanding to watch this film because she just keeps going and you know from the very beginning that there's no way that this character is gonna make it to the finish line there's no way she's gonna survive this because you you see just how far into the drugs and the uh, just the self-mutilation she's into already at the very beginning of this movie so in that regard I think it's you know pretty obvious that she's doomed from the get-go Um, And then when you, you know, you realize this is the parallels between Janis Joplin, obviously becomes even more prevalent because of that. But I want to talk about one scene in particular, and it's kind of, for me, her culmination scene in this film. It's the one that takes place in the phone booth, if you remember the one I'm talking about. Right near the end of the movie, she is back in her hometown doing a concert. And it's because she's in her hometown where... A lot of those old toxic habits mm. catch up with her because mm-hmm. she's just dealing with all the trauma of when she was growing up in this town and how it was horrible for her. And she falls off the wagon again. She is completely loaded on drugs, and she's just broken up with her boyfriend at this point. Um, you know, the uh, the music career is going down the tube, and she's late to her show. And she's just trying to get there and she's on the phone and she is just completely gone at this point and you see it in her eyes that she has no intention she doesn't even want to live through the night anymore mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happens and it's just mm-hmm. such yeah. a defeated moment for this character and i completely lost it when i watched this movie i mean yeah it's it's breathtaking what she's able to do and on top of that like her singing voice is Fucking flawless. She sounds In. so good, and I am so angry that the title song was ineligible for Oscar consideration because it should have won.
0: Some say love
1: it is a river that the tender. Reef. But <laughs> I digress. You know, um, yeah, and I love it.
0: the The upsetting thing about Bette Midler not having an Oscar is that mm-hmm. she's she's the only one who doesn't in the First Wives Club. So it's like <laughs> awkward, <laughs> a little bit, right? <laughs> so you know, like you know that like Goldie and Diane are like. Oh, so let's go get our Oscars. Oh, wait. Bet doesn't have oh. one.
1: I'm saying this to you with love, compassion, and the spirit of true sisterhood. You are full of shit. Yeah, boo like <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Um, oh, poor girl. And she does, I believe, have both an Emmy and a Grammy. So Yes. Well, um, she actually won an Emmy before this movie was made. I think she won an Emmy in like she 76, also, 76. She has a Tony. Something like that. Yeah,
0: she has and four Golden Globes, three Grammys, three Primetime Emmy Awards, and two Tony Awards. She is only missing an Oscar oh, from being an EGOT. She's so close. She's so close.
1: Um, I don't know if I, this is where I would award it for her, but no. this is about as close as I think she comes.
0: Well, this is a really, um, this is a really like good year for performance, I think. this mm-hmm. is uh, There's a lot of really interesting performances that are nominated this year. Um, I mentioned, I name-checked both Jack Lemmon and Jane Fonda, who do absolutely great work in The China Syndrome. Um, regardless of how you feel about all that jazz, I do think Roy Schreider is pretty good in that movie.
1: Yeah, That's he does a I'm fine say. job.
0: I'll well, have the roast beef Tuesday, the chicken, Wednesday, the steak. Thursday, I plan to be dead, so I'll just have something light. Okay, <laughs> um we'll get to kramer versus kramer later (laughs) um uh you know we talked about the supporting actor category um also uh i one of my favorite people in the entire um lexicon of the universe and also the only person in an all-female cast who doesn't have an oscar um is candace bergen Who's the only? Who's the only person who doesn't have an Oscar from the seminal twenty
1: eighteen film, um, uh, book club? There it is, <laughs> a very important piece of cinema, very important piece of art, really. Um, but
0: uh, but she uh gives a um, it, starting over is a uh, comedy. And she kind of steals the movie with her performance in the film, even though she is the third lead, which is why she's in the supporting category. And it's important that she has this comedic moment, because that kind of takes Candace Bergen's career in a different direction, and eventually she'll be on TV for many, many years, winning five Emmys for playing Murphy Brown. Um... So uh I, I love Candace Bergen. That's that. And also if y'all didn't see her last year, she was the best part, I'm sorry, Meryl, of the movie Um Let Us All Talk or Let's Let Them All Talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um anyway, but um I will spotlight it shouldn't be in the best picture category. Hmm. But Sally Field is absolutely iconic in Norma Ray. Yes. And and I specifically want to s- spotlight Sally Field as a person. She's the movie Norma Ray is about uh a you know, a southern woman unionizing um the uh what kind of plant is it? It's um Oh boy, it I like a
1: textile it. I was gonna say textiles, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, um and she uh, unionizes Um, the workers there and there's everybody should know the iconic moment and I'm not this is not an understatement this moment is iconic where she stands on top of her machine and holds up the sign that says Union Um, and Sally Field has one of those careers um, you know we'll talk about her a couple more times but this is where a person who started as a kid, you know, as a teenager, and was typed very, very early as being this sweet, cute thing. Um, and she played Gidget on television, and then she was for The Flying Nun, a role she absolutely hated for three seasons, which is a show famous for being a punchline more than anything <laughs> yeah. else. Um, and then she started going, thanks to an actress that she was with on that show, she started going to the actor's studio and then she started studying acting very, very seriously. And eventually she got a couple of breaks. The biggest of which was uh, in a TV movie called Sybil, um, where she um, played a woman who had, uh, I forget how many personalities it is exactly, but it's, it's like 16, 17, somewhere in there and um the woman who plays her psychiatrist is joanne woodward who won her oscar for the three three faces of eve and she won an emmy for that role and after she won that role she started redefining her career as a serious dramatic actress and then over the next decade and throughout the 80s sally field is one of the top um dramatic actresses in hollywood and um, and we'll talk about her again because she does win a second Oscar. But in addition to this, she also has um, movies like Steel Magnolias, which are huge, huge hits, um, which she's not nominated for, and that may be a conversation later.
1: Oh, God, I want to know why! Why? Because
0: I do think sure she's great will be. in that movie. Um, there's actually a few performances in Steel Magnolias that may be a conversation because, like, yeah. It's very underrepresented <laughs> at the Oscars. I um, agree more. Yes. But uh, but just a preview for 10 years from now, um, the funeral scene at the end with Sally Field is just a great piece of acting. Um, but Sally Field like, kind of was like mind over matter situation where she pulled herself out of the pigeonholing um, that Hollywood did to her. <laughs> and made herself into uh the star she wanted to be and i love that journey and i will say she only covers up until the early 80s really and then she jumps ahead to lincoln in her book which is called in pieces i believe don't quote me on that she has an autobiography (laughs) um that i think is called in pieces and i listened to the audiobook which she reads. And, um, and she, uh, is, it's one of the best autobiographies I've, I've ever read. Cause she, um, mm. she's very candid. She does not seem to care if she comes across as unlikable in points. She's just brutally honest. And a lot of it, it is, it is called in pieces. I just checked. And a lot of it is, um, a lot of what's going on at this point in her career is really interesting because she's dating Burt Reynolds at this point in time. And they have a very, like, hot-cold relationship. Um And he very much doesn't want her working and being a star, basically. Ugh, um gross. Because he wants her to be, you know, the girlfriend, you know? Um and maybe like settle down and stuff and she is more ambitious than that and eventually that's ultimately i think what is implied as the reason that they part ways after being together for several years um because like she didn't go to the emmy ceremony where she won for sybil because burt reynolds didn't want to go
1: Ugh. well
0: that's just awful like it's it's like stuff like that that's yeah. that's kind of upsetting, but yeah. but she ends up really persevering and just having a stellar career, and and I just love that Norma Ray is a deserving performance, but it also represents this incredible journey of a person breaking out of their shell and refusing to be typecast and
1: um and doing it, you know, conquering Hollywood. Absolutely. So. I love that. Anyway. Yeah, no she is she's great in hey norma Rae. I love Sally Field and A Queer Ally. Outspoken Queer Ally. We
0: yes. She, her
1: her son is is one of us. Yes, he's one of us. <laughs> <laughs> um okay. about our age let's, too, I think. Let's get into the main event. Let's talk about Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> I'll just start this off right here by just point blank saying I fucking love this movie. I think this movie is genius. For those who haven't seen it. Wait a second. Hold on. Is, oh, go ahead. Is there... I forget. I, you
0: like one of the actors in Kramer versus Kramer, right? Um, I love several of, of the them, actors. <laughs> but there's like one that you really like. Is that... Do I, yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Um, uh,
1: there's, this, there's this little known actress named Meryl Streep. Who was an up-and-comer. <laughs> just so you guys know, the, the
0: podcast is is going to be rebranded at this point. Because now <laughs> Meryl, Streep is, Meryl Streep has 18 more of these nominations coming up. I've just been nominated 789 times. And every single time, that'll be the only thing Sam
1: talks about on that episode. That's so. all I'm going to want to talk about. Because uh, <laughs> she deserves every single one of them. I will die on that hill. Uh, okay, Kramer versus Kramer. Very simple story. It is the story of a brutal court battle uh, to take custody over the this divorced couple's child. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where we have it, and this is a really interesting one because it pits a stay-at-home, not stay-at-home, but a working dad versus a working mm-hmm. mom, and which. You know who deserves to be the parents. You know that's kind of what we're asking here. That's the story. The the question being uh, served here, and I think this movie handles it incredibly well. It it gives it gives both the mom and the dad equal uh, criticism. Mm -hmm. You know it's it's very unbiased. We uh, we feel for both of them. We kind of hate both of them. But we understand where they're coming from. They they really take care of their characters in this movie. And this movie has one of my favorite screen moments ever. Uh, Tell me if you've caught this moment, Rance, when you've seen this movie. It is between Hoffman and Streep during the courtroom scene where the lawyer is when Streep is on the stands and the lawyer is uh, asking Streep if Dustin Hoffman was ever unfaithful to her. And after he poses that question, there is a moment where Meryl looks at Dustin Hoffman, who's sitting, you know, behind, uh, back at his seat, and they share a little smile and a little laugh. And to me, it is that moment that I'm just like, it, it says everything. It says everything. So you know in that moment that there was a happy marriage once, and maybe they... They had, like, uh, a little swinger situation. You know, it's it's just like a, you a don't, little you smirk don't know. where I go, yeah. yeah, exactly, because there's something to do with that where, no, they weren't cheating, but they must have fooled around with somebody or other couples or something. There's a private right. joke between those two that we just see a flicker of, and hmm. it floors hmm. me every single time, and I think it's genius Well, I probably haven't seen this as many times as you have, and I probably haven't (laughs)
0: rewatched the just. I I have a feeling. I'm just guessing here, that you probably watched just that courtroom scene on its own
1: more times than you've seen the actual film. Holy shit, Rance! I can't tell you how many times I've seen this movie. 789 times. I watch this movie a lot. I love this movie. (laughs) <laughs> oh god your, what are your thoughts movie on it? tell about, me this brutal movie about divorce
0: is your comfort yeah. food
1: um, for real though god what does that say about me i don't know <laughs> i'll unpack uh, that kramer, in therapy later
0: kramer versus kramer is one of those movies that i first saw because i happened on to it um on tv once and um it was it's a delightful movie to happen on to um delightful in the sense that i mean like it has delightful moments it's not it's not devoid of it's not devoid of heart you know in fact it Mm -hmm. has a lot of heart which is why it works um and you know the whole middle section of the movie is the bonding of the dad and the son and um and dustin hoffman and uh uh justin henry um do a great job with those scenes the opening is so compelling because you just got meryl streep walking out of the whole situation. And that's such a great setup to a movie. Um, but the the thing that works about it and the reason this movie works is because of Meryl Streep because Meryl yes. Streep in, in less capable hands, I'm not saying there isn't another actress who could pull off playing the mom in this and not be sympathetic, but what Meryl Streep is able to do. Um, and again, you mentioned this last week, she had a lot to do with doing some of her own dialogue in this movie, um, is she's able to bring empathy to a character that could could have been a villain? Yes, in the story, but she's yep. not a villain. And the reason that the movie works is because there is not a villain. Yes, if there was a villain, it would not work. I think it's you have to be able to understand both sides, and this movie allows you. It stays with Dustin Hoffman pretty much the whole movie, but it because. Meryl Streep does so much with what she's given, and then expands upon it. You're able to understand her side without spending the whole movie with her, mm-hmm. and and her courtroom scene is a slam dunk. It is one of the top five supporting actress wins mm. of all time. Easily, it is. It is Easily. also one of the best movies about divorce.
1: Yes. Ever produce yeah absolutely it's yeah, great there's it's just, absolutely great so many moments in this um oh, that just stand out it is truly truly stellar you're right i i think uh, when you talk about the heart of this movie it really comes into that middle section where we see uh the dad and the son start to really bond there's a really great scene where after we've seen their routine and how they're struggling for a while to like kind of you know, uh, be in sync with each other mm-hmm. until finally, toward the end of that middle section, it's there's no dialogue. It is just we see these two wake up, go about their morning routine, getting breakfast, ready for school, ready for work, and they don't say a word to each other. They just flow perfectly, it's and so, that's all it takes. You so realize, beautiful. oh, they've they've found each other, and it you know. So then, in the end, when Meryl comes back and wants custody, it just breaks your heart because you've seen what Dustin Hoffman has had to go through just to be a good dad. You know, changing jobs. Oh, my God. Like, okay, here's my you one know? thing, though. There, there is okay, something that I will okay. say. I have a little bit of a problem with that subplot of him getting a new job because, you know, his old job doesn't allow him to, like, leave work when he needs to for the kid, Mm -hmm. be at his kids' school productions of whatever he's doing, you know, so he has to get a different job in, like, 24 hours, and he does. And he gets, like, sort of in trouble for that when he's on the stand in the trial. They kind of, like, peg him for, like, making a little less money now and having a different job. And to me, I'm like, but wait a minute. Isn't the opposite true? He found a job that still pays to support his lifestyle, but where he can now actually... You know, leave work when he needs to, and be present in his child's life. To me, that just shows that he was willing to do what he needed to to be the good parent. So I've never well, really yeah, understood also, that little. You know, it's I mean. nineteen
0: seventy nine logic. I mean, maybe maybe back in those days yeah.
1: they valued well, money over time. Well, they did, and the, the whole thing with that, too, is that when they talk about Meryl's job in the movie, the, this new job that she's found, he, she is making more money than he is. And I think that's supposed to be, oh, like, that's the the woman's yeah, making the... more money than the man, you know? So, I get it, but no. to me, you're right. Like, looking at it now, it's like, that's just stupid. Who cares? Um, um, yeah. Well, you know, Robert Benton, as you said,
0: he just hits... All uh, he's the director of the film and uh, and the writer as well, and he just hits all the places in the heart.
1: Um, ah, clever, 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 <laughs> clever. Girl. So much so that he'll he'll later make a movie by he'll that title. will come back. will come back.
0: Which uh, wins the best actress of this year an mm-hmm. Oscar. You like me right now. You like me. Another sure one. does see the connection I made there. Um, right. Robert Benton also, I should mention, uh, wrote the screenplays for both Bonnie and Clyde and Superman. So there you go. There you go. Um, I mean, he's he's a very talented guy. But yeah, I I think you're right. This is this is a a really solid win. Now a lot of people. Um, argue that this is the year of apocalypse now, and they say that that is the movie that was robbed. Now we got really into Vietnam last year, and I think it's probably safe to say that neither one of us are going to agree with that, um, because we just we just awarded a a violent Vietnam movie. Do we want to we want to award another? I also think Apocalypse Now has kind of developed something of like a cult around it because um, it's so famous for all of the production issues, like the whole thing where Marlon Brando showed up looking completely different than he (laughs) did uh... when they casted him. And, uh, you know, there's like there's a legendary documentary on the making of Apocalypse Now that just shows what a ridiculous... (laughs) experience it was was. yeah undertaking it was for everybody involved but of course the movie went on to gross a lot of money there's been multiple versions of the film released um you know with cut footage and everything and um it it is it is an iconic movie um maybe in a way that kramer versus kramer isn't in the culture but um but I, I think if we're looking at these nominees, that's that's the next one that people would say would be a deserving winner. So where where do you I mean, I know we're going to we're both going to pick Kramer versus Kramer. But what is yes. your what's your comparing the two? What's your justification here?
1: That's a great question. I I think you you said it. I think they were a little reluctant to award to Vietnam movies in a row and apocalypse now is (laughs) i okay i like apocalypse now i think apocalypse now is really really a really good movie it's very solid it definitely warrants all the nominations it got um and is probably the number two yeah it's probably my number two movie this year and it's definitely Uh, the best thing that's not true being there is my number two movie let's let's be honest it's definitely the best thing coppola did after 74 Yes, of these five that are nominated, Apocalypse Now is absolutely number two. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is a Vietnam War movie in, like, setting only, as, like, a backdrop. Apocalypse Now is such a strange, oh my god, it's almost indescribable and, like, without genre, because it just, it navigates through so many different territories, um... Like, it's a little absurdist, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, it's mm-hmm. brutal, it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I, you go through the entire range of emotions, which makes sense, because it's based off of that very famous book, Into the Heart of Darkness, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is, uh, Into the Heart of the Darkness. You keep talking, about I'll, Vietnam. I'll fact check that. Okay, yeah. It's not yeah. about Vietnam. It's about, like, someone's descent into madness as he's meeting this, like, person at the end of a river. And, th- and like, Coppola took that story and turned it into a Vietnam vehicle. So that's kind of where he goes with it, um, which is Heart of darkness to me. Heart of Darkness. Okay. Heart of Darkness. Yes. 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 Um, so that in itself is just fascinating to me that you can, you know, that he kind of updated that piece of work. And made it something so um, original. This is definitely the most original. This and I would say Full Metal Jacket are the two most original war movies ever made. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you had The Deer Hunter last year, which is a very, I would say, like typical war movie. And then you have Apocalypse Now, which I think is incredibly different. But I feel like we went with, (laughs) we go with Kramer versus Kramer here. Just because we need something with some heart and love in it, right? Like, I just feel like after the year we we had last year, we got to have, you know, it is very rare that Oscar will award kind of the same topic of movie two years in a row. So they actually normally will go to something totally different just to kind of, you know, save face a little. So I think that is why we see Kramer win here. Um, But with that being said, uh, yes, I think Kramer is the more deserving uh, movie. But apocalypse now is good it's very singular and i think that's why it has a cult following now because <laughs> i think people hear apocalypse now and they think vietnam but if you watch the movie like it is something totally separate it is it is its own uh yeah its own picture for sure yeah it's its, it's own thing own thing. Um, uh, I feel like we yeah. should get into, though, some of the controversy surrounding Kramer versus Kramer. A lot has come out about the treatment of Meryl Streep by Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And I want to kind of hear your take on this. You know, Meryl Streep has now come out and said that he not only was very rude to her um, during the making of this film, but straight up was abusive to her during the making of this movie by sort of taunting her about her now deceased lover John Cazale. This was, she, I mean, she made this movie shortly after he passed away, and that was one of the reasons why Dustin Hoffman wanted to cast her, because he felt that she had this, she would have this very raw emotional presence because of what just happened to her with the passing of her lover. And he used that when filming to get her into that very emotional state that Joanna Kramer is in throughout almost this entire film. Um, and there's also the scene where, when she first comes back and they have lunch together, where she reveals that she wants to have custody of the kid, and Dustin Hoffman smashes a you know a glass against the wall. He did not tell her he was going to do that, and there were shards of glass that landed in her hair, mm-hmm. and you know it's terrifying. That is terrifying. You know yeah. it really shows the two different approaches to acting. Both of them have um, Dustin Hoffman is incredibly method. Um, especially in the nineteen seventies. Well I
0: mean I we talked it, about we talked about the thing mm-hmm. with Marathon Man a couple of years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. That famous exactly. Laurence Olivier
1: story story with him. Yeah. I mean So it goes to show that yeah, he was willing to do whatever it took to get, you know, the best performance from himself and his fellow actors. But for me personally, she also I'm, Go ahead. She she also said
0: that he groped her upon first meeting him as well. Her breast to be specific. So
1: you know he's doing these things to like help set up their character's relationship you know so I don't think that was Dustin Hoffman grabbing her boob or taunting her and throwing glass against the wall. I think it was him being the character and trying to develop this antagonistic relationship between the two and I just feel it's very unnecessary. I don't think you need to go to those lengths I still think they would have given beautiful performances without that. You know, I don't think that's necessary. What do you say to that? Yep. Well, I mean,
0: I completely agree. I mean, it's yeah. a... Um, th- there, there are actors out there who take the idea of being method to places that are cruel. Mm-hmm. And when it comes right down to it, we're all still actual human beings. You're not just playing one on the screen. Yes. And you, you need to be able to find a way, if you are an actor, to tap into whatever your character might be while still holding on to your own reality and respecting those around you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, and that means that if the agreement is to perform a slap, you don't actually slap someone. Yes. That means when you're working with somebody, the same rules apply as if you had a cubicle next to somebody. Yeah. You don't grope them just because you're an actor. Don't don't try to bully me. Yes. Um. And so there have been some other mumblings and allegations that have happened in regard to Dustin Hoffman. I'm not going to speak to anything specifically. Yeah. I'm not qualified to do so. But um, Meryl Streep has said very few things negative about any people ever.
1: Good point. <laughs> so
0: I think that people should draw their own conclusions mm-hmm. um, based on that. If Meryl Streep says something against you, I, I think that that's maybe something you take with... You take... Uh, I mean, like, can you think of another person
1: that she said anything against i really can't i mean minus harvey weinstein the last four or five years she's you know but who hasn't you know what i mean so yeah, no, you're absolutely it, right and donald trump i mean and trump no she is very careful with who she speaks out against she knows she does her research she knows what she's saying when she says she it, chooses her words
0: yes she. so yeah, it, you yeah. should probably take it seriously when she says something
1: that's all Which is so upsetting. It's so upsetting because Dustin Cuz he is a is great actor. Just phenomenal in this movie. He oh, he's great. is he's great. incredible. You know, you yeah, just, you you just you're wish right. that you know, people would be better.
0: But you separate the art respectful. from the person. Yeah, you separate the yes, art from the you person. Know,
1: yeah, you kind of have to.
0: Um, we're going to have to talk about this all again in a couple of years because we're going to we get are. to his other his other seminal performance pretty soon
1: and uh yeah. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. And a movie um, that probably has other issues that will be interesting to talk about in today's
1: context. Yes. Uh so. let's get into Justin Henry though. I want to know from you, do you think this is a performance that warrants his Oscar nomination? I think he I think I I think he's fine.
0: I think he does. He's a child actor. He does his job. You know, he's good. Yeah. Um I think he is riding in on the coattails of the movie. But, I mean, like, I don't have... He doesn't win, so I don't have a problem with it. But is he, like, Tatum
1: O'Neill on Paper Rune? No. (laughs) 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 You know. (laughs) Oh, God, there is... Okay, the moment, I will say, uh, it's so good. It makes me cry every time. (laughs) I mean, he's good. I'm not saying he isn't good. I'm just saying it's not,
0: like, revelatory. That's, like,
1: you know. No, okay. So, okay, so that moment is right after... It's right after, like, Meryl has gotten the custody and Dustin Hoffman has to tell the kid, um, Justin Henry, that he's gonna live with his mom now. And there's this moment where Justin Henry just starts to break down. He looks to his dad and he says, Dad? Huh? Don't forget once if you can just call me up, okay? And it's like, that is the completion of their entire arc as father and son. Where in the beginning, like, the kid couldn't care less about his dad. And now at this moment, we see just how hard it is for him to let go of his dad now. And oh, you just you just see, like, how divorce only hurts the kids. And it's just messy and awful. And there's nothing good about it. And, oh, and like, they're you hugging know, when also, it happens. Oh, it's so sad. That's go also
0: ahead. what I say in the morning when I send guys home.
1: it's okay if you want to call me up
0: (laughs) if you want to call me sometime that's
1: (laughs) that's fine
0: (laughs) oh christ (laughs) um no you're right it's it's a it's a great moment there is Mm -hmm. like the one the one thing with this movie uh that people might bring up is it is told from a male perspective Mm -hmm. and you know um I, I think the reason why it becomes a great movie is because Meryl Streep is involved. And yeah. Meryl Streep makes it to where it's not this stereotypical villain. Because I think perhaps if it was just left to what was on the page, we might be looking at something that was anti-woman and anti-women working. Yes, absolutely.
1: And,
0: and that's where I really give credit to Meryl Streep and love her her win because i think she keeps the movie from becoming that
1: yep yeah yep couldn't agree more no i think she is just phenomenal in this movie yeah one of my favorite oscar Same. wins one of my faves yeah i do you like meryl Streep? i adore her just through and through i adore her and i can't wait to keep talking about her in the future um, well guess what not next year but then I the next year. I was year, just like looking. I was like, I think it's the one after that. Yeah, 81 is it's, her next it's, nomination. It's um, the next
0: year where we get to talk about a um, European military
1: person's spouse. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, that was good. That do you see good. what I did? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> see where you're going. See where you're going. No, but next year, we, I will say, we do get to talk about another uh, just movie that holds a special place in my heart next week everybody we're gonna tackle 1980 and the best picture winner ordinary people yes uh, yes, yes. <laughs> this is gonna be i've been waiting for this one for quite some time now this is such I a good can't year wait to talk about uh. it uh i know yeah we've, we've obviously obviously we've both seen this movie quite a few times we're very well versed. and we
0: might have an opinion that is against popular opinion
1: Yeah, we do have a highly controversial opinion. We'll talk about that next week, everybody. So join us as we talk about ordinary people.